It's 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. Welcome to Mac and Cheese Movies. I'm Scotty Coppage and Our Lady of Blessed Acceleration. Supposed to be live from Chicago. It's Shannon Coppage. We're on a mission from God. <laughs> and he lives at Wrigley Field. It's James Cook. Hey, when your weekend's all spin up and Monday's coming down the pike, sometimes all you need is a little comfort to get you through to Monday. Mac and Cheese Movies, where we believe in comfort food and comfort movies. So, on St. Patrick's Day in Green River, Chicago last year, we were supposed to be talking about the cult classic, The Blues Brothers. We had all of the plans. We were like, we're only here for two nights, but we're gonna do it all. We're gonna go see the Green River. We're gonna do. We're gonna eat like Chicago pizza. We're gonna like review that for the podcast on the Blues Brothers. We're gonna watch the Blues Brothers. We got there and we're just doing all this, and we we're like, I'm tired. We got we got 40 <laughs> minutes into a movie like that first night after the flight and, and everything. And I was tired. I was like, can we do this later? <laughs> <laughs> and here we are, 15 months later. <laughs> Yeah, so we're just going to pretend. Yeah, but it was cool. We got to... I'd never been to Chicago a few times. Never saw the Green River. Uh, that was cool. Um, I don't know. We were like... Our apartment was pretty close to the L, which was kind of amazing. Uh, we loved that. We loved just looking out the window and be like, oh, the L's going back. It's going back by again. It's it like, was, it yeah. was romantic and magical. It was romantic and magical. <laughs> But yeah, so that was the original idea. It's like, hey, we're going to Chicago. We should do a podcast on Chicago stuff. And it was like, eh, Ferris Bueller, what about Blues Brothers? <laughs> and it didn't happen because Shannon got tired. Mm-hmm. That's the end of that story. Okay. So <laughs> let's, let's, let's talk about our food, our dish for today. Um, James, what did you cook up for us or for the show? Eat. Four fried chickens and toast. <laughs> <laughs> and a Coke. And a Coke. One Coke. <laughs> and a Coke. Um, That's my favorite. You want anything to drink with that? No, oh, ma'am. A Coke. A Coke. Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah I, I cooked some fried chicken, and I haven't done that in quite some time. And uh, cast iron skillet. It was awesome. Nice. We put some hot uh, spicy stuff in there, though. I got from... Uh, I can't remember where we got it from, but I, I figured that was the way to make it Chicago-style. At least that. Spice it up a little bit. So it was delicious, and uh, and I haven't had fried chicken quite some time, so it was, it was awesome. Yeah. Chicago's a spicy town. I bet it was tasty. We did we did a cast iron skillet deep dish we, pizza. We, Shannon, Shannon. We did a cast iron. I did it. <laughs> so this is my third nice. my third time making a Chicago style deep dish, and really like the last two months, uh, I've been doing a lot of cooking, but uh, I always forget something. Um, I finally, like, I keep on trying to meld different things together because we'd found, like, a recipe on, uh, was it Binging with Babish? Uh, and he's amazing. And, but I didn't like the crust. I did that. I messed it up the first time. I was like, I'm going to get it this second time. Then I didn't like it, but I liked the sauce. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this other thing and this. And then I forgot to put sausage in there. I was, it was going to be yeah. a sausage pizza. I had it all I saw it in the sink. Um... Yeah, because I asked Scotty, I was like, he's eating the pizza. I was like, it's good, right? He's like, yeah, it's good. And I was like, can you tell what it's missing? <laughs> he's like, no. And I was like, let's talk about it later. <laughs> so it's missing the sausage. <laughs> but it was still so really tasty. Chicago style pizza, is it just thick? Super thick. Real thick. It's real, real thick. Real filling. Like you eat a piece and you can't. It's you're, a, it's a you're, pie. You're done for like three hours. It's a pie. But it's like I also use the uh, cast iron skillet to make that. So you make the pizza dough and you have to let it rise just like any other kind of bread. Um, uh, get it doubled in size. And then you like grease up your cast iron skillet and kind of put it down in there. And then you have to let it rest a bit because it doesn't want to hang out at the sides, you know? It's, and so, like, you let it rest a little bit and you do it again. And then you put all the stuff in there. And it's basically just, like, pounds of cheese. And then you cover it with... It feels like pounds of cheese. It's not really, but it's a lot of cheese. <laughs> it's not really pounds <laughs> of cheese. It's not really. <laughs> it's adding pounds to my body. <laughs> but it's not pounds of cheese. 
But uh, then you cover it with your sauce, which I use the binging with Babbage sauce, which is just really my favorite. Um, and then more cheese on top. So bake that sucker. But instead of the first step, which is you put your meat layer down, which I was using sausage, um, I just put cheese down. And then once it was in the oven, I noticed the sausage was sitting over there. And I went, well, that's not happening today. <laughs> yeah, you're almost Simpson, don't. Oh. Uh, yeah, it's every time. The sausage went AWOL. It did. It's, it's back in the fridge now. It did. But it was still tasty. It was really good. And it was to the point that I could actually get it out of the skillet. Because, like, the first time I was able to get it out of the skillet. You have to and, use, like, two kind of spatulas or something yeah. to, like. And then cut it. Like, I'm a really cool pizza cutting person. Mm-hmm. I don't you know. Got the big one, you got the big uh, chop, chop, chop. It's a little right. one. It's, it's like a baby out. one. It's like six inches. It's like a baby one, so I have to uh, use it twice across. Uh, it's not that it's cool. A, it's a good weapon if you were like a ninja, I think. Uh, it's not a good uh, weapon if you're a ninja. <laughs> what are you going to do? Like throw it at them? No, it's not it's, very long. No, it's like. Uh, it's kind of one yeah. inches enough where they got that throwing stress. They got and they've also, but they've also got like, it's not sharp on all the edges. It's only sharp on like one edge. <laughs> ninjas can make that work. Ninjas, yeah, ninjas. <laughs> so let's talk about our film and first taste. Um, when did you first see The Blues Brothers? And what's your relationship to it? Why is it a mac and cheese movie? Uh, when I first saw it, I was very, very young. Uh, my dad was a huge original cast of the Saturday Night Live. I mean, he's a Saturday Night Live fan. So any movie that they ever made, Stripes, any movie that uh, any of them were involved in, Ghostbusters, all that, were I always got to see them because my dad was a huge fan of uh, John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd. So I saw it when I was very young. I wanted to be John Belushi when I was a kid. Little did I know he didn't make it till 33. Um but I wanted to be him so bad. I wanted to be uh, both those dudes. I loved them. I thought they were the greatest band of all time when I was little. And as I got older, I realized they had the best band in the world. I believe Dan Aykroyd said they were like the number three band that he could ever assemble. Number one being James Brown's band, um, or, or Rhythm and Blues band, of course. Uh, number one being James Brown band. Number two being Tina Turner's band. And then number three being his band. And um, as a musician, I kind of learned more about the band than I did anything else. I'd already knew everything about Saturday Night Live growing up and all those comedians. But as a musician, you realize that they, you know, when they're, you know when they're going around trying to get the band together? That's actually supposed to have gone a lot longer, the original script. But when I was a kid, I remember, uh, or actually when I grew up, I realized they'd assembled all these awesome musicians into one band like the rhythm sections from Memphis the horn sections from New York so that combination of clean versus gritty sound is just one of the coolest bands I mean we, you said you watched it today I watched uh, I watched it earlier this morning and I, I jumped up and down and sang to every song just like when I was a kid and I would listen to the James Brown part <laughs> turn around do my feet like this <laughs> hands up in the air waving them back and forth feeling the gospel um those, all those songs. It was a musical. It was my favorite musical to watch. As a matter of fact, I, don't, I think it was the first musical I watched. And besides Grease, I don't think I really cared for musicals when I was younger. I, I, but I did love those two movies. And I did love uh, Blues Brothers. It was great. On a side note, I like won a Grease lookalike contest at Hastings in 97. <laughs> because I was the only person that showed up. So I got all the prizes. Zucode. Uh... Yes. <laughs> Yeah, it was. Danny Zuko, another character that I wish I could have been. I'm doing anything for a T-Birds jacket. Did you, did you come equipped with a T-Birds jacket and a hair full of grease? Hair full of grease. Probably my dad's members only jacket. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's so good. I love uh, that. <laughs> yeah, as a, kid, as a kid, I really loved that movie. It had, you know, remember, Ackroyd was, was Ray in Ghostbusters. Yeah, he's- so... I loved everything that Dan Aykroyd did. And he's a total badass in this movie. I mean, this is like when he was still pretty young and like, you know, really could pull that off. You know, later on he's, you know, the dad and my girl. He just gets older and like, you know, he's, um, I I mean, I loved him like in sneakers and stuff. But it's like, this is when he's like badass Dan Aykroyd. is in that like late 70s, early 80s era. Well, and I love, I love how deadpan they are the entire time, you know? 
Like, yeah. Which is weird for those two dudes. They're the most animate dudes on SNL. Remember mm-hmm. that? They're the craziest, most animate couple to come out of SNL. And here they are in a movie with with hardly any lines, never showing facial expressions. You never see their eyes until one one scene at the end. Um, it's That's what makes it funny. But if you look at uh, Dan Aykroyd around that time, he was a badass. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was going around riding motorcycles. And, but I, I, he... Graduated from college, I think it was like he, uh, uh, psychology major. He he was a smart, mm-hmm. smart dude mm-hmm. who was just a really badass, and, and he kind of wrote that into the character Elwood also. So like those characters are a little bit of a fantasy of who they are, who they were in real life. So that's that. I, I, I really love like that. that also. Dan Aykroyd is definitely cooler than Ray from Stan- the Ray Stans. Side note. <laughs> Uh, Peter Venkman was originally supposed to play be played by John Belushi. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, oh man, that would have been. And also, I think Eddie Murphy was supposed to play Winston. I think. I think yeah, they... Eddie Murphy was supposed to play Winston. And imagine, if you will, because this is how the script ori- originally went. Imagine Eddie Murphy getting slimed and saying, "I feel so funky." <laughs> <laughs> that would have been so much fun. Uh... The way Bill Murray did it, of course, mm-hmm. but it would have just been a completely different movie with uh, Eddie Murphy and it would have just been that much more funny so. and, and like the, in the Dan Aykroyd you know he wrote the script for Ghostbusters that script was like 300 pages was going to cost like 200 million dollars to make so they had to really scale it down the Blues Brothers script was like 325 pages and the director had spent like three weeks cutting it down so that it could be like two hours and ten minutes yeah, yeah and it was he didn't know how to write a script in Blues Brothers so he did like this free form kind of thing and what what's best is because in Dan Aykroyd fashion he realized this is ridiculously big it's like twice as long as any script so he stapled it into two, like a yellow pages like he, he tore out yellow pages things he put it into some yellow pages cover so that when they got the script you know they would know it's as thick as a as a telephone book <laughs> Oh, well, and we were listening. So, yesterday, so we've been doing some garden time during our our COVID hangout. Um, but so we listened to podcasts. We've been listening to specifically the uh, Staying In podcast with uh, Emily and Camille. 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 Yeah, I always say it wrong. Um, but anyway, they have a bonus episodes, and who was on that? Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright. Um, they had, he was. He, one d- of he directed Hot guests. Fuzz and Shaun of the Dead mm-hmm. and Scott Pilgrim and yeah. Um, yeah, so he but he was he, he was talking about the Blues Brothers, and it was like, "What? We're doing this tomorrow!" <laughs> but he's talking awesome. about how like uh, how they you know I mean about their deadpan and how like it's it was not a hit at all, but it was like they got all of that money because like Animal House had just happened, and like it's just the studios just wanted to give them everything. They were like, "What you want to do? The- oh yeah, that seems fine. <laughs> Take all of our yeah, money." They think they went ten million. Was I, was I did a little research? They went ten million over budget for the car scenes alone. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and of course, I rewatched all those car scenes. When you watch that, you, you recognize there's no CGI. Every car that piles up on top of each other, there is a dude inside that car. It's the scariest thing to watch when you notice it. I don't know if you the the car scene at the end when they're going really fast. That they had filmed that twice. Um, the first time, it looked like John Landis realized, well, it looks fake. It looks like we sped it up because they were actually going that fast. So he, and, and I rewatched it this morning, he had to get extras to walk across so that you could see that it was real time. But the scariest thing is if you watch it, there are cyclists, by, people on bicycles. I don't know how you're able to make a quick move when a car's coming at you over 100 miles per hour on a bike. And somehow they pulled it off with no deaths, but there was like <laughs> edge of the of the of the street screaming at other people, don't come down this road. There will be cars flying at 100 miles per hour. Wow. And how they got permission to do that is the craziest thing in the world because there was people that called in and reported high-speed chases around town. <laughs> they caused so much mischief. Imagine that. The craziest two dudes from Saturday Night Live terrorized Chicago for a few months. And 
and just messed that town up. It was, I loved it. What I read is that John Belushi is so beloved in Chicago that he would like hail cop cars and they'd be like, yeah, Belushi, get in. And like, just like everywhere he, he went, people, people just loved him. <laughs> they loved him like crazy. There was, a, there was a moment in the um, film, I personally think after reading about this, there should be a movie based on the making of this movie. Because there's one moment uh, where Dan Aykroyd for years called John Belushi America's guest, and he came up with this when they couldn't get him to come to set, they couldn't find him, so they go look at the neighborhood near the studios, and there's a light on, and the guy goes, you looking for John Belushi? Apparently it came in asking for a sandwich and <laughs> some milk, and then passed out on the dude's couch. <laughs> that had happened a few times to, uh, to, to Dan Aykroyd. Uh, John Belushi had pulled that on Dan Aykroyd so much. Uh, there's actually a skit. I remember the skit of the worst guest or some some. I don't I can't remember the name of the sketch, but it's like the worst guest. And it was basically what John Belushi did every night: get messed up on drugs and go hang out with people and annoy them. <laughs> you know, and get them to make him a sandwich and pass out on their couch. <laughs> That's how. It's, it, I think on the set there was. Um, Carrie Fisher and Dan Aykroyd got together. Yeah. And I, uh, if I'm jumping around, I'm very sorry. And no, it's great. Yeah, no, it's great. Uh, I mean, we... John, uh, John Belushi wanted Dan Aykroyd to hook up with Carrie Fisher. So he invited them over and they were going to party. And uh, then Dan Aykroyd, or then John Belushi passed out. <laughs> so they were alone together, but, but only because John Belushi had passed out. <laughs> <laughs> they were, they had no chaperone. Because of his yeah, well, I, I've read so many books on uh, John Belushi, Wired, and uh, he, he also plays a big part in the SNL books, and they talk a lot about his, his addiction. So I already knew a lot about his addiction, but to find out that it was really at a horrible point, this is when it really was um, at its worst. That in the movie they'd actually put aside some of the budget for his cocaine use. Jesus, like they put money aside and said, "Well, this will be for." This will be for cocaine, but John did the most of the cocaine. So. Wow. Wow. I've got, I've got that in my notes, too, about the cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> and about America's Guest. I've got that right here. Yeah. There's a heart-to-heart with John Landis that I heard him talking about. So to me, this is, the if you were to make a movie on uh, or about the movie, um, that would be a good pinnacle point where John Landis and him had to have it out because John Belushi, for years... It was the saddest story in the world to, uh, with John Belushi, but he just really uh, did drugs for so many years that you're seeing the end result of that in 1980 uh, with that movie. It's pretty. It's it's sad to watch a little bit whenever you when you know what's going on behind the scenes. But he was a beast. Yeah. For sure. So. For sure. Scotty's like, what do I have left? <laughs> I have a bunch of stuff. He has, he has so much stuff. That's part of this thing that, that, uh, of the entire uh, movie. Because these are dudes that I ended up loving and not knowing what uh, bands they had been in in the past, like uh, Steve Cropper, Donald Duck Dunn. Mm-hmm. Um, what's his name? Willie Willy, Willy Hall. <laughs> I don't think, don't we all, should we all get cool nicknames like that? Don't you wish you just seriously? You know, well, Tom Bones, God, I love the end credits on that. I love how even the cast was in the, the you crew, know, like, like or the crew, crew. Like crew, the crew. It was like crew, and they're like dancing to the song. It was just like every movie should have that. <laughs> every movie should have an awesome outro where the crew gets credits. Yeah, exactly. Like their names, it's not just their name on the screen that nobody watches anyway because they leave <laughs> or turn it off. And um, Wrigley, yeah. they went to the Chicago Cubs game while they were shooting this. Um, and they go into the bathroom, and Belushi, you know, it's like huge lines, you know, it's like a st- in a baseball game. He says, Okay, stand back. And everyone retreats from the urinals, and Belushi pisses, and then he's just fly up and he says, Okay, back you go. Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's how much everybody loved him. <laughs> yeah, he was so big on SNL, and around that time, they were the coolest people on the planet. That has to be a a powerful tool that, that you're never going to see that again. Yeah. That that's uh, for one thing that that is not looked upon as cool anymore. Definitely, that is definitely. Uh, there's other ways to look at it, but back then, everybody loved that guy, and he was a cool dude. It was just. Um, 
and he was a cool dude that was involved in cool things. Mm-hmm. That was the main. He was in, in National Lampoon's. Uh, he was in uh, and he did SNL. Then he went to, to do movies for National Lampoon, and that really solidified who he was. But um, that dude as a whole is just incredible. I, I've always been a John Belushi fan. I, I love his work. He's just great, uh, great actor, funny dude. Cool eyebrows. The eyebrows when he took off his glasses, you know, to kind of butter up Carrie Fisher is amazing. Well, and he's also got all that, like, mud on his face and everything, so he's completely just filthy, but he takes that off, and that's the only clean part of his face is his eyes and his eyebrows, and they're so expressive. I just, I mean, there's something about a person with great eyebrows. You're just like, I don't even care about the rest of your face, you know? (laughs) What are what are your eyebrows like? What's weird is I watched that movie this morning and I forgot about the eyebrows. I knew that it was a cool scene, but in my head, while I'm watching it, he's talking and you know the scene he's sputtering out excuse after excuse. So in my head, I'm like, dude, this dude is coked out of his mind right now. But then when he takes his glasses off, he looks completely normal and relaxed, and everything stops. From the entire chaos of the movie, I don't think you realize that one moment is the most peaceful part of the entire movie, and then it goes right back into 123 cars piling up on each other. So, <laughs> but that is a cool scene. Very, very cool scene. Plus, Carrie Fisher is adorable. She was, and I just, God, I just loved how many different ways she was coming up with to, like, kill him, you know? Like, we've got flamethrowers, we've got bombs, we've got, oh, and and can we just talk about the scene where she, like, blows up their building, and they've just got bricks all over them, and they're just, like, dusting themselves off, going about their day. Gotta go to work. Gotta go to work. (laughs) This seems fine. (laughs) Curl up and die. Uh, that yeah, well, is. Curl up that's and the name die. of the salon she works at. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Curl up. That's great. Uh, that's great. That joke in the entire movie that many people did not get. Uh, right there. Curl, curl up, up and die. die. Oh, that is hilarious. She's wearing a shirt. If you notice, her shirt says "Curl up and die." <laughs> she's doing her nails. She's like doing her nails, and she's got book. Of after book of all these insane weapons in order to kill uh, Jake Elwood. And she That's a really does her nails. Too. Oh my god. Yeah, it was amazing. When, when this movie came out, the owners, the ex- exhibitors, they said this is a black movie and white people won't see it. And most of the like prime like theaters wouldn't book it. Um, but then, like, black people and white people saw this movie, and it ended up making $115 million in, was it 1980, 1982? I mean, which is a nice haul, which is a huge hit. Yeah, Dan Aykroyd thinks that it would have done better in the beginning had it not been for people banning it. Like, it was banned from, from some places. Some owners, were, some owners were saying, I don't remember, there was two excuses they would give, okay? Mm-hmm. But... Basically, what they were saying was they didn't want an all-black movie because they just looked at it and just like this, this is an all-black movie. And um, movies that were coming out around that time, they just thought it was one of those movies. So they just said, no, I'm not going to watch that movie. And I was talking to my dad about it because I immediately read that and I had to find out, like, where did you watch it at? And he said, they didn't ban it over here, man, because I watched it right there at the mall. (laughs) (laughs) He he would have noticed. He said, I would have noticed if they would have banned it, because I would have gone crazy if they would have banned it. And of all the things this town bans, I would have been real mad about that one. So they played it here, but there were some places in Oklahoma, some places in Texas, a lot of places in the South um, that wouldn't wouldn't play it. I also think it's, was it, we were saying something about the... um, the music, I always think it's funny that they didn't want to use some of those artists. The studios didn't. Yeah. I don't know if you'd read that Yeah, also. yeah. That they, and I'm sorry again if I'm jumping around. No, no, no. I, no. I thought that was the funniest thing because we, we watch that movie now and we look at it as a moment in time where collectively the giants of R&B got together and really well. To this day, that's one of my favorite Ray Charles songs. To this day, that's one of my favorite Aretha Franklin songs. James Brown, that song, it, ah, I want to show you. That song gets me jumping still, and I've heard this song about a million times. Um, to know that the studio wanted, what was it, Rose Royce? 
instead of Aretha Franklin, they didn't want Aretha Franklin. They said, well, we got this new band from the movie Car Wash, and we'd love to have that band. They were like, dude, are you joking? Nobody knows that band. And no one still knows that band. Yeah. Sorry, Wolf Royce, but it was Aretha freaking Franklin. I mean, it's a, t- it's a timeless movie now as a result. Yeah. If you have the band and from Car Wash or Duran Duran or whoever, you know, it's this yeah, movie doesn't age well. Well, I'm sure that was part of their, their reasoning, was they were like, if they see him in this movie and they like it, then they'll go back and watch Car Wash or whatever, you know? Yeah. And they're always trying to, like, yeah, the same people. But what it makes, they had, they had a, you know, they had this band that they were, make, they were making a percentage off of, and do we want to make more, so let's exploit this band. It right. happens, yeah. but yeah. lucky for them, they stuck to their guns and said, nah, man, it's got to be the original dudes, it's got to be people that, that were at the scene. And that's another thing about that band, um, Steve Cropper, Donald Duck Dunn was in Booker T and the MGs. And if you listen to Sam and Dave, you know they have that eight track and they slide it in Sam and Dave. They were the backup band for Sam and Dave. Those were the guys on the album. And to this day, I still I would freak. I'm sure Dan Aykroyd had to freak. All his favorite musicians and all his favorite bands, he grabs the best of those dudes and makes a band. That's, exactly. Have you ever had um, a situation like the uh, the bunker country house where you with go with the chicken wire? Yeah, with the chicken and wire people and just throw bottles whether they're having enjoying it or not. <laughs> I played that show last week. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have. And honestly, I've played. It, it never fails. That is the oldest joke. We will go to a bar that we know we shouldn't be playing at. And the first thing any musician will say is, Chicken wire, man. Because <laughs> we know that uh, it's about to get weird and rowdy. <laughs> and uh, yeah, they want to hear a certain type of music at those places. And uh, I absolutely love not giving it to them. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and, you know, we do, we do what we do, but there's a lot of times where you can tell that they, uh, they're kind of looking at us because we're playing blues or we're playing some some soul and they they, nece- they don't necessarily want to hear it but um yeah i played this show and never forget i played one bar in this town and i remember that really we joked all night long we, we did a bunch of jokes about um that scene and we even said do any of us know that the theme to rawhide is, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but but uh um, and also that was another funny part the band all of a sudden makes up the song and they do the stand by your man uh, motions. Yeah. Stand by your man. <laughs> Which um, I love also. I want to. Yeah, uh, just incredible. See, but I, I, y'all know, uh, I always joke and say that the owner, who's the owner? Was it Billy? Was it, what was his name? Was it Billy Bob? Or is it Buck? Whoever the owner okay. is reminds me of Paul Schultz. Uh, I love that. Who's Paul I love Paul. Oh, he's he's a, so he's a musician here in town, Scotty. <laughs> he's incredible. Around these parts. Yes. But when I talk to him, all I think of is that dude. I I can see uh, that. I'd appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> I'd appreciate but, it. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, that, that scene right there. And I gotta go to the car and sign <laughs> the check. We should do that on my brother's dash dashboard <laughs> well, I appreciate, I appreciate that yeah now I loved I loved the uh, juxtaposition between them being so so chill so just deadpan the entire thing and even as they're being deadpan the music moves the, it doesn't matter what music is playing um, moves them to dance because they're doing the whole dance scene but they're still they've still got their sunglasses on they're still their faces are just are just nothing's going on there but their bodies are moving all around hands in the air just feet just flying and i just love that um the one with aretha franklin when they're they're in the chicken restaurant (laughs) and she does this whole thing they're dancing the other guy's dancing and then she finishes looks at him and he just takes off his apron and goes just like you don't see that if you see a movie that has a scene like that it's like well we we know how that's gonna end <laughs> no he just left peace out Aretha was great in that also I think that one of the things that John Landis couldn't stand was he didn't realize soul singers and R&B singers the reason why you go to their concerts is because you're hearing a performance that no one will ever hear because they never do the song the same way twice so it took them forever 
ever to do the scene mm. with Aretha. 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 <laughs> <laughs> we can say words. <laughs> Seriously. They couldn't do the scene because she kept singing it differently every single time. And as a matter of fact, I think the James, which is awesome if you really hear it, James Brown refused. I'm not doing a track, man. You, you play the track, I'm going to sing the song. That's how I roll. So they do the scene like that, and it's powerful. I mean, it's just the best. That's one of the best versions of a James Brown song I've ever heard. He's just singing it. <laughs> screaming, growling through the whole song. Uh, but those dance routines, I think the saddest part is, uh, who's the who's the dude? Um, Bruno Moraney. He's the saxophone player in the scene. Oh, okay. The saddest thing in the world is you don't see him dancing. And he took so much time out to learn that dance. Oh, no. And if you watch it again, this is this just this, and that's it. You don't see him dancing. And, he, and when you watch the movie, he hated the, he hated the scene. He's like, man, I learned those dance scenes, man. Yeah. Well, and all you see him is he's sitting on the counter. He's kind of on the counter. And that's it. No, no. Yeah. That's it. And that whole scene. Great, great scene, though. Uh, mm. I loved, uh, oh, another sad little uh, fun fact. Uh, the guy who plays the husband, Matt Guitar Murphy, died the same year Aretha Franklin did, mm. 2018. They died in the same year. Just a weird little tidbit. <laughs> and we've, we've also, you know, when I saw this movie, probably in the 90s, up until a few years ago, Nazis being around and doing stuff, it felt like, oh, that's something we'll never have to deal with. And now there's new Nazis there's now. There's Nazis again. Speaking of John Mulaney, and now there's Nazis again. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should call them uh, like they are in the movie. And if you notice this, American Socialist White People Party, also known as the ASWPP, also known as Asswipe. <laughs> They literally, oh, that's another thing about this movie. Dan Aykroyd was so ahead of his time, I think. Things that we love about movies now, they didn't care about back then. Like, the car, let's face it, has superpowers, right? It flips, it does all these weird things, it's still running somehow. He explained, and he fought John Landis on this scene, and they ended up cutting it out. But there's a scene where they drive the car underneath, and there's like this... Um, like magnets or whatever, in order to explain why the car has superpowers. Okay, so Dan Aykroyd, and he was like, we gotta explain why it has superpowers. And John Lennon's like, no, we don't, dude. It has superpowers because I say it has superpowers. <laughs> nowadays, we would demand mm -hmm. the origin story yeah. of the car. <laughs> the car just says, yeah, just do that. He, he also liked Easter eggs. He put tons of them in the movie. But at that time, they weren't really doing that many. They weren't doing anything like that. So he... Uh, uh, he what, started playing around with that idea. What uh, what Easter eggs are in there? Uh, well, one of them is so I can have some of these down. Before the good old boys drive into the river, it passes by a building that says Mr. Bill's Barbecue, and Mr. Bill's Barbecue is from a Saturday Night Live skit. Oh. Uh, the Bluesmobile's license plate is BDR five two nine. That's a reference to Dan Aykroyd's Motorcycle Club. The Black Diamond Riders, their clubhouse was 529. And the scene where the band appears, and this is the funny one. You know when they're in the sauna? Yeah. yeah. And the whole band is in there. And the whole band is in there. You see them file out. The cool thing about it is, that is a um, kind of a shout out to the 1973 Blood, Sweat, and Tears album, No Sweat. The band is in a sauna, the same pose. And Lou Marini and Tom mm -hmm. Malone from the Blues Brothers were actually in uh, Blood, Sweat, and Tears. So the, all these references to all these other mm -hmm. bands, they kept doing it about the movie. They thought they, there was a lot of thought into this movie. It seems like it's just a drug-fueled, crazy, insane movie, but uh, Dan Aykroyd was not like that. He was very much a, a straightforward, mm -hmm. um, very smart, smart writer. Uh, I really enjoy his writing. And, and Steven Spielberg's in this. Yeah. <laughs> Does the receipt. Here's your receipt, sir. And all the guns. <laughs> sandwich. Um, John Landis is in it, too. Where's, John, where's John, John Landis in it? In the cop, he's in the cop car when it flips in the mall. Mm. 
is the one that's flying in the mustache. Um, they took days. And, and I watched a behind-the-scenes kind of flick on it, and my one of my favorite scenes is they're, re- they're looking at the mall that they've destroyed. I mean, it's bad. And he's just looking around, and he's on the phone with, I guess, the producers going like, yeah, it's going to go over budget a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you remember that story you told us, don't touch and don't wreck into? Well, we wrecked into that. <laughs> it's basically, they just messed everything up in that movie uh, on those scenes, but I love those. When I was Go back to the uh, Illinois Nazis, I think we should, if we just call Yeah, I hate Illinois Nazis. <laughs> we wouldn't have this problem. Yeah, you know, like, oh, you're an asswipe? Oh, yeah, that's sad for you. <laughs> be like, well, I don't want to be an asswipe. When I, when I was 14 and super ballsy, um, I was in San Diego, and I saw some dude I thought was John Landis, like, at a hotel, like, restaurant. And he's, like, in a meeting with some dudes, and I was like, excuse me, are you, just to interrupt everything, are you John Landis? It wasn't, um, but like I like the fact that I was like, I don't care if I'm interrupting this dude's lunch. I'm going to ask this dude if he's John Landis. Yeah, no. Well, I take the chance. Yeah, exactly. He's not going to remember you. It's a different story right now. Right now, you would, you would be saying, I'm pretty sure I met John Landis at a place once. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You well, should you know, change it. Totally Nobody's going to know. <laughs> remember that time yeah, I met John Landis? I'm sure that you met a complete stranger. <laughs> Exactly. It could have been. He could have just said, "No, I'm not." Yeah, because he because really. he wanted to get his million dollar deal. Yeah, wanted to get his lunch in, and he wasn't gonna have some snot nosed kid ruining it. <laughs> no, yeah, I'm not John Landis. the leader of the uh, Illinois Nazis is one of the funniest things in the world to look back on because he became my favorite in the Burbs. I don't know. It's Klopek. Yeah, yes. it's Henry Gibson, right? Yeah, he's so good in that. Mm-hmm. I loved him in that movie. He's so freaky. And I'd already seen the Blues Brothers, but I forgot that that was him. So then I went back, watched the Blues Brothers for whatever, I don't know, 520th time. And I watched it again, and I was like, oh, it's him. Oh, this movie's even cooler. Mm -hmm. He's so creepy. He's such a creepy, fun, weird uh, character that popped up in movies around that time. But to have him be in charge of... uh, (laughs) Nazis. And he's what is he painting that eagle? The eagle. And then he's he like painting an eagle, and then he's like he just puts his little paintbrush down and is like, well, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> or or when their car is falling from the sky, and and his subordinate looks at him and he goes, I've always loved you. <laughs> and his look on his face, and then they just like crash through the street. That's another scene that people don't realize. It's a real car flying through the air. They had to get permission to do that scene. As a matter of fact, I think they had to do a test run and show them that they could get that scene right before they dropped a car in Chicago. Um, But that's a real car that's flying through the air and falling to the ground. And uh, the scene with my favorite is because it smashes through the road. But somehow the Bluesmobile just Just pops pops right right over Flies over it with its special powers that were explained uh, perfectly. If would to keep it in the movie. In the scene that was not in the movie. Yeah. Did you yeah. see the Did Blues Brothers two thousand? Say, say it again. Did you see Blues Brothers two thousand, the sequel they made? So my dad uh, watched it, and there's been a few times in my life where my dad has, you know, been real serious. But I don't think I've ever heard him as serious as when he told me, "Hey man, don't ever watch that movie." Man. Ah. Please, mm-hmm. don't do that to yourself. Mm-hmm. So I've never seen that movie because my dad told me don't ever watch it. He said it was the saddest thing you ever watched. I, I, I don't know how y'all feel about the movie. I, I, didn't, but, I haven't uh, seen that, but it was like, yeah. like kind of like, we don't have John Belushi, like we're going to have John Goodman in here instead. Like, I mean, it's like, what you know. John Goodman's a great singer. He's a great bluesy guy. He actually, I think he, um, he does some bluesy stuff. I know he's, he's done music in the past, um, but... I just don't... I'd heard some details about it, and my mm-hmm. dad was like, dude, it was just horrible. I wish they wouldn't have done it, or he wishes they would have gotten together and actually figured out how to really make a script work. But he said it was just the worst idea ever. And he told me... I can't remember... Something about aliens. And I was like, aliens? Nah, man. And it's, what's weird is because the first one has, you know, crazy, crazy plots. But for some reason, they work for me. And also, again, it's it's the um, the crew that 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 moment in time 
um, where you had two of the funniest, like this team of, of comedians, this group of dudes that were so funny together. And it was because one was crazy and outlandish and the other one was kind of this, you know, still cool guy, but he kept it together. So that back and forth is, is always going to be funny, but you're never going to see that again uh, with, with guys with, with that. And I think they were going to do something with Jim Belushi. And I don't, I don't, I've never really been a big fan of Jim Belushi. I don't know how I love John Belushi so much and don't care about Jim Belushi at all. Well, I don't know Jim Belushi's completely different in... I like the movie K-9, where he's a cop and he has like a German Shepherd. But other than that, I'm not a big Jim Belushi fan. Would you have liked it as much if there wasn't Turner and Hooch, though? Let's face it. The real reason why we love that movie is because we saw Tom Hanks do it and we said, Sure, I'll watch another one of those. I, I would. I'll watch any movie with a, a, dog. a with a cop and like a dog partner. Or even just a dog. We're like, that looks terrible. I can't wait to watch it. We, we watch the dog <laughs> journey movies dog. and we like to cry. And, even... Um, What's the movie that came out fairly recently Airport, last year? Where it's like, it's a CGI dog and people oh, are all pissed about it. It's like, it's like uh, I don't know. It's I mean, the Alaska Harrison Ford movie. It looks bad, but it, I don't know. Maybe I'll like the maybe CGI I'll, dog. <laughs> haven't seen it yet. Every single time in the mornings when I go somewhere and I see like three dogs just roaming the streets, I'm always like, incredible journey. Incre- yeah. I literally yeah. <laughs> just think of... Incredible journey. I wonder where they started. Or like Homeward Bound. Homeward Bound. Yeah, Homeward Bound. That's a great yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah, movies we're, with that. We're dog. Sally Fields. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if our dog sounds like Michael J. Fox. I think probably, you know? Like, I mean, she is a girl, but, you know, she could still sound like Michael J. Fox. Why, why are we going to force a gender on her, you know? Like, she can be whoever she wants to be. <laughs> Do you have any any? Do you have anything? Uh, the doggy bag. What's your takeaway from the film? What's the legacy? Uh, the legacy. I, I, the legacy for me for this movie was. I don't know. I probably should have thought that one a little bit more. You know what I spent most of the time was the question that you'd ask me on the remake, and that was the one that I kept looking at over and over. Oh, again. on the remix. What's it called? On the remix. Oh yeah, like, who you else? didn't ask it. Like who who else? else could have done this? Who else could have done this at that time? I don't know, but at this time, I went back and forth on this forever. I was looking through, like, you know, just actors who can sing, and I couldn't find anything. I couldn't find, except for Jack Black. I was like, Jack Black could do it, but Jack Black, again, would have to play deadpan. He'd have to be not Jack Black for an entire movie. You can't act like Jack Black. You can't do the facial expressions. You can't drink a beer yeah. halfway through the song. You gotta, and I know he can do it. The reason why I know he can do it is because of High Fidelity. Mm-hmm. He sings Al Green at the end of the movie. And that was the first time I ever saw Jack Black. And I remember thinking like, who is this dude that can sing that good and is that funny? And he does uh, have the eyebrows, you know, and so. He do the eyebrows. Mm-hmm. But the, I think the problem is that you're not getting, who would be his partner? Like instantly you think of KG from Tenacious D. But who would be, really, who would be his partner? Because you would you would need someone that works so well with Jack Black that you already kind of knew worked well with Jack Black. He'd have to be tall. He'd have to be able to do a bass voice. I thought, what's his name? Uh, Andy Bernard from The Office. Um, oh. Ed Helms? Oh, yeah. Ed Helms. I thought Ed Helms had the just right amount of nerd, um, but he couldn't pull off cool. Mm-mm. Dan Aykroyd could pull off cool back then. And you're right, that is a weird movie because like the next movie you see him as Ray in Ghostbusters and it's like, this isn't the same dude who was cool with shades and he played Dermonica. So, and, and even yeah. like stuff like Spies Like Us. Um, oh yeah. You know, he's funny in that, but he's not like, you. he's not the cool character. Like Chevy Chase is like the cool character yeah. in Spies Like Us. Yeah. He decided to be that straight man for mm-hmm. every movie after that. And I think because he knew it worked better for him. Um, you know, trading places. He was the straight yeah. man in that one as well. But I, I don't know. But then again, you'd have to get the band. You'd have to have somebody. You'd have to have two people that were so cool. Because at first I was like, uh, a perfect duo would be uh, John C. Riley and Will Ferrell. That kind of comedy duo. 
but they can't sing like John Belushi. Can. None of those guys can sing like John Belushi singing Jailhouse Rock at the end of the movie with that grit of Joe Cocker and that coolness of Elvis. He pulls it all off, and that's almost impossible to do for for a for a singer, much less an actor trying to sing. Um, then you'd have to assemble the greatest, one of the greatest soul bands of all time who played in those original soul bands. There's so much equation like that happened into that one, one moment in time. But I think the, the, the legacy is you can't ever see anybody wearing a black fedora, black tie, black shades without thinking he looks like somebody from the Blues Brothers. Oh, yeah. That's a look yeah. forever from now. Yeah. You know, they actually took that, the clothes from a scene on Saturday Night Live to, to create that. It was some scene where they were directing like Secret Service and uh for chevy chase and they ended up just using it and putting on fedoras and then going outside and singing it's it's so so interesting how like these kind of cult classic movies sometimes they just it's like oh well we've got this you know obviously that wasn't the case in this movie it was only the case in the wardrobe because of the characters that on snl but you know like little shop of horrors you know they're just oh we've got all this stuff and let's write something real quick and do it (laughs) But just things come together. Yeah. And I think you're right. I think we're, we're not going to see something like this again with like the huge budget and then like, you know, with these kind of masterminds and just kind of how loose and kind of crazy like that whole scene was back then. Plus like someone like a supernova, like Belushi, like. Well, and you've also got a, a movie without, it's not on a regular plan, you know, like, oh, well, we know that these movies do well in the box office. Like this movie with this budget it's going to make a profit, you know? Like, they had no idea what was going on with some of these movies that were doing astronomically well. So they were like, we can do something crazy too. Yeah, let's let's do it, you know? Crazy. Uh, that's working right now. Um, yeah, you couldn't... You wouldn't really see that so much anymore. I think that another thing about its legacy is when it comes to that moment in American music history... To be able to grab those greats and put them in a movie and really highlight that sound. And be able to, I mean, the band spent weeks listening song after song after song after song and finding the perfect songs for these movies. They took time, real time, to realize how much emotion does this pick up? Will it pick up here? Is that slowing it down? Do you know, that's the, the hell I go through when I'm trying to create a set list. I can't even imagine trying to make a blockbuster movie. And then you've got, again, James Brown, Ray Charles, John Lee Hooker, Cab Calloway. Um, Then you look at the cool little side characters. John Candy's in it. Um, That what is Pee Wee Herman as the waiter. Paul Rubens is in it for a second. Yeah, again, Henry Gibson. Um, All those cool little side characters. I mean, you could get some cameos. You could get some fun stuff, but... For the time that it was, it really cannot be remade. That's one of the movies that uh, I am somebody who loves a good remake. I know a lot of people don't like it, but to me, a remake means my kids can enjoy the remake, and then I get to say, "Man, check out the original." And a lot of times, my kids will like the original. Uh, sometimes even I'm like, "Dude, I can't believe I like the original." <laughs> <laughs> so I understand, but but um, but I think I, that I, just. I'm clear. I think that just highlights what you're saying about it's the right time, the right moment, the right group of characters. I mean, that's for you as a viewer as well. You know, you have to think about what what was surrounding you at that time. What were the things that were going on? Who was cool? All of these things. And it being completely different 30 years down the line, you know. Yeah, because I didn't know who James Brown was. I knew who he was. I knew, like, I feel good and stuff like that. But I didn't know what he looked like. I didn't know. And when I was a kid, my dad would make me watch this. And uh, well, my, my dad made me listen to Sam and Dave, anyways. You know, so I already knew a lot of that stuff. But but when it came to seeing these people, especially Ray Charles, my band, I was in a band. I was doing James Cook and the Audacity. I was playing piano for that band, and my number one goal was to play Shake a Tail Feather. Like as soon as I started, and I was like, I'm gonna learn it. I'm gonna learn it. I'm gonna learn it. And it took me forever. The day I learned that's oh, the day I learned that song, uh, we recorded it. And the, one of the coolest things happened, I did a show a few weeks before that with Josh Weathers. You heard of Josh Weathers? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I played a show with him, 
and I had just happened to buy the brand new album or the, the album Blues Brothers and I played after our show in the alley and it's his horn section picks up their horns and starts playing all the tunes to that stuff. Oh. So it was, it was amazing. It was a, a really cool um, moment. And then so whenever we actually played it live, I sent that to Josh Weathers and he was, uh, he was tickled about that. It was pretty cool. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. What about you? What about you, Scotty? What's your uh, takeaway? I think I'm gonna, my my take of Doggy Dag is how this will probably never happen again. You know yeah. what? And it's not a freaking comic book movie or a Star Wars or anything. I mean, it's like mm-hmm. it's hard to it's hard to get something like this made now. Could you think of anybody else that would that would fit into those roles? So we're kind of going back and forth. Can't really think of anybody. Yeah. Yeah, because the music, the music was such an integral part of it, and you don't really have that many people, actors that could do that, or that many uh, musicians that could do the acting bit. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The musician acting was funny. Go watch, go watch it again with Donald Duck Dunn. They took a lot. They they had a lot of fun with him saying a bunch of things that nobody understand. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think mine is, uh, you know, you can pull off anything with confidence. These guys had tons of confidence, you know, even with the entire police force after the, I mean, they're just chilling in the elevator for about an hour, it feels like they're in that elevator, uh, you know, waiting for that guy to get back from his five minute break, you know, just cool as cucumbers, <laughs> cool as cucumbers. Confidence can get you through anything. <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, we certainly hope you all enjoy the show. And remember, people, no matter who you are and what you do to live, thrive, and survive, there will still be some things that make us all the same. You, me, them, everybody. Everybody. Our Lady of Blessed Acceleration, don't fail me now. Good night. (laughs) All right, James. um, We've really enjoyed having you on. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much yeah. uh, for, for letting me do this. This is a blast. I know that I sputtered incoherent babble because I was drinking a shitload of coffee while we were doing that. <laughs> so I want to thank you all for bearing with me while I try to get through those moments. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, for everybody else out there, if you enjoyed the show, we'd really appreciate it if you uh, would give us a rating on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Mac and Cheese Movies or, you know, just live your life. And, uh... And on that note, Illinois Nazis. I hate Illinois Nazis. <laughs> <laughs>